Hello and welcome to the Crisis Designer Weekly Podcast. This is me, Robert Pratton. And this is Belen Santaolalla from Conductor Crisis Simulation Platform. Yeah, so you're listening to the Crisis Designer Podcast and this is where we share tips, thoughts, concepts and lots of gossip to help you create <laughs> remarkable exercises. Exactly. So if you're into crisis management, information warfare, reputational risk, business continuity training or immersive simulations in general, well, we've been thinking about you the whole week. <laughs> and this, this is, show is for why you. we have created this show. <laughs> yeah, and coming up, coming up later, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, environmental storytelling or uh, basically like human terrain modeling and how we can uh, consider how the environment shapes our our personas and how the personas react in exercise and um belen's going to talk about um proxemics i hope i've uh, pronouncing that uh, correctly and so she's going to explain how you might use that to uh, decide what channels to use in your in your storytelling exactly but before we start with that let's go to what caught our eye this week so Belen, what uh, what caught your eye this week well there are two things uh, that caught my eye the first thing is a report from SIPA, uh, uh, which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Center for European Policy Analysis. Okay. And this report uh, is, a, is a long read uh, that covers the evolution of Russian hybrid warfare. Um, and it's interesting because it's a, it's a report from last, uh, last uh, year, from 2021. Um, uh, so it's not obviously covering what's going on right now, but it really helps you to understand uh, where everything is coming from. Um, uh, it's talking about uh, past conflicts with Ukraine, with Estonia, with the UK, uh, the position against uh, uh, the EU and NATO. And it. Uh, what I think that it's um, valuable about this is that it really explains these different events, uh, kind of a, a timeline of what has happened and how the uh, hybrid warfare has been changing over time um, because of, the, of these different uh, events that uh, took place. So I think that um, it could be valuable if someone is creating a crisis uh, design scenario uh, in which, um, as we always say, uh, there's a major event, but that untaps uh, or taps into something uh, that has happened before, uh, and it, it's uh, revealing a past of uh, of conflict um, and and that iceberg idea of there are some things of unresolved issues that come yeah, up okay. in in a, in a different shape. Uh, so I thought that this is a real uh, a real case that, that this is happening right now, uh, but it could be interesting uh, when you're putting together a crisis uh, to approach it approach it like a bible creation or uh, or a, um, or the creation of a of a history for your fictional world if you're creating something that is not based in a in a real country. So yeah, this uh, this is a very uh, detailed report that we will share uh, in the notes. Um, but it's got quite good. Um, it's got quite good case studies, though, isn't it, for a few countries like the UK is in there with the Salisbury thing. Um, did I say Ukraine? I mean, the UK is in there with the Salisbury yeah. thing. The Ukraine's also in there with their. I mean, we should say that. I mean, we're recording this on like February the seventeenth or something. Is it the seventeenth? Eighteenth. Eighteenth. So yeah, we're recording this on February the eighteenth. And um, uh, basically, uh, the world's on a knife edge waiting to decide, you know, see if Putin's, uh, well, he's a bit, <clears throat> we don't know what he's going to do. But uh, so, yeah, so it's definitely, it's definitely uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, so the Ukraine's in there, also Estonia. It's good. To, I think it's good to have the, the breakdown of what, of what happened. Because what you, I mean, what we've seen this week is Russia says, We've finished our exercises, we're pulling back. And then NATO or the Americans are going, they're not pulling back. They've added another 7,000 troops. <laughs> so they basically say one thing and they're like, we are definitely not looking for a, an opportunity to create war. We're open to uh, diplomacy while all the time, you know, stirring things up. And there were some like skirmishes in the Donbass yesterday, which is already like 
you know, Russia's in there with their back in the separatists and everything. So it's a bit of um, it's a bit of a scary time. I mean, thankfully they didn't go in on Wednesday because on like over the week, over the last weekend, <clears throat> there was talk that they would go in on Wednesday. But I, I also found um, uh, like a journalist from Russia Today was very. Uh, like as you would imagine because it's Russia today but he was very like a uh, sort of pro-Russian narrative going like oh you know so when you know Wednesday will find out who's telling the truth and all of this it's like well I don't think you know I don't think that that's evidence and I saw that he was promoting lots of different uh, rubbish that comes directly from the, um, Russia so it's quite yeah, it's quite interesting anyway so get back to the report it's a good um it's a good report, actually. I think it's quite, although it's detailed, I think it's quite easy to dip into, yep. which is always my thing that I, I'm always in a hurry for sort of nuggets to put into an exercise or something to build it out. So I think it's pretty good. Exactly. So something that caught my eye as well, and it's completely different, uh, it's um, it's about uh, an ad for the Super Bowl. Uh, okay. And it's a Coinbase uh, TV ad. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's uh, basically it's a QR code that it's uh, moving around through the screen during yeah. seconds, uh, uh, imitating the DVD logo, that kind of logo that it was changing colors and it was moving uh, and, and bumping itself uh, with the edges of the screen. Um, so what I, what I thought I was interesting here was um, how uh that was used to generate engagement uh these different elements and this comes from a tweet um uh, from daniel eckler uh, uh, online it, that explains how that um that was used for a marketing uh, purpose but i thought that it could have like some engagement tips for our crisis designers okay. first it was uh, the use of nostalgia because as I said, it has like this DVD aesthetic uh, and it really yeah, okay. automatically you remind, you, you remember what that's going, that's what's that about. Um, uh, and that really makes a link. Uh, and also um, the use of the QR code uh, uh, that is kind of a rabbit hole because it's on a TV <laughs> yeah. ad for a 60 minute, uh, uh, for a 60 second um, slot and you have to scan it to really know what that is about. Uh, so that uh, takes us back to the transmedia world uh, in which you're generating opportunities for your audience to get into that. And because there, were, there was no further explanation, you really want to know what that's about, especially in a slot that is so expensive and it's generating uh, such a big um, um, uh, interest. And, <laughs> And the other thing is the contrast, and it's uh, because of all the uh, the production uh, spend that all these yeah. have in this <laughs> and, I, and they just had like this QR code, shitty QR code, moving around with colors, and that was it. So it's a huge contrast with the content that was out there, and I think that the contrast uh, is also something that we can um, exploit uh, definitely um, in in your scenarios. Uh, don't go for the for the usual or for the mainstream or for the obvious uh, to really generate the question because in the end it's about generating a question uh, like so the, the training audience is asking themselves like what's going on here I really need to know more so I think that that's a that's a really good example on how they are exploiting the human uh, the human mind uh, with this ad it's pretty good it's quite interesting it's, it's interesting in this um, Twitter thing is also included a graph of like uh, how QR codes have taken off. And he's exactly. basically saying because of the COVID outbreak, now nobody's allowed to touch a menu. <laughs> you exactly. know, like you have to, like, so probably every restaurant uh, that was allowed to be open was getting you to scan a QR code. Definitely. I mean, the QR codes were dead before the pandemics. Everyone was looking at them as something like that really. Designers didn't take hated off. them. Yeah. Designers yeah. hated it. I remember like trying to. You know, say, oh, we want we want to put this together, and we'll have a QR code. And they're like, oh, their QR codes are so ugly. <laughs> I know. And there were versions. There were like colourful versions from Microsoft, but it never really took off. Yeah. And um, the other thing I was going to say about QR codes is, um, I would never scan them these days because uh, it could easily be like a malware vector. You don't know. You've got no idea what URL you're going to. So you scan it. All of a sudden, 
you know, like you're infected or you go to some dodgy website. So in the days of just seeing a poster outside, you know, you know, a physical poster with a QR code on it. Like, oh, that's curious. What's that all about? But no, I don't mm -hmm. think so. <laughs> it's like the old days and the flash drives of the, yeah, uh, exactly. the ARGs, like they were living uh, in flash USB flash drives to to continue with the story and then no one would really exactly, put an yeah. unknown device in your computer. I think there was nine inch nails did that, didn't they? Left just yeah. a USB stick in the toilet. Exactly. Just, oh look at this. I just stick this into me drive. <laughs> I don't think yeah hopefully no. no one no one listening to this would be uh, doing that. No. So that's what caught my eye. What caught your eye? So um a couple of things. So I I've probably mentioned uh, Casey Newton before but um, he's a journalist and uh, I follow him on uh, Substack, which is his, basically a place where people have different newsletters. And he uh, was reporting on, uh, so Neil uh, Moen works at YouTube and he, uh, YouTube was talking about how they're going to fight disinformation. What's the, what's the challenges? And something I thought was really interesting was they're saying, what, what he wants to do is, um, if you and they in um, in Casey Newton's uh, article, he talks about the pandemic. So this video that got like eight million views, and it's just basically conspiracy theory uh, type stuff. And even though YouTube sort of like weren't promoting it, it was it rose to eight million because of traction it got on Facebook. So all the QAnon sort of conspiracy types would share the link in facebook mm. and that's how people were getting access you know finding the youtube video and then uh, and then and then going to it there but i mean i saw it in like reddit and all sorts of other other places and in the show notes we've got the link to the youtube uh, post where they talk about the the things they do so obviously they could remove the video uh, so there's like they, they call it the four r's of responsibility so they could remove the video they could sort of over promote other content. So if you've got more authoritative voices, they would try to get you to find that content. Uh, so you had like a bit more balanced uh, stuff. They could try to reduce it. And one of the, one of the things they talk about in here, in, in the Casey Newton article, is um, like removing the share link so that the video would be on YouTube. So the idea being that they're not killing free speech because the video is still available, but you're unable to share the, the video quite so easily. I mean, presumably you could just go to the top URL, copy that and paste that in somewhere. Okay. So I don't know, or maybe because already you can prevent your video from being embedded. Yes. So maybe that's something else. So maybe they could like automatically remove the uh, permission to embed it elsewhere, but it's basically trying to reduce the amount of uh, sharing it gets. And, one of the interesting things is like <clears throat> 8 million views to YouTube isn't that much. So it didn't, it didn't even come up on their radar as something they should be looking at. But what they're trying to do now by using like programs and people is to try to look at more like niche narratives that rise up very quickly. Because you think of YouTube, they're global. So they, yeah. you know, so they've got to be looking at all these different countries with all the different uh, sort of cultural nuances, because um, you know, if you think like a Western person, they might see something and think nothing of it, but then to a local population, that might be very insulting or, you know, mis, you know, dangerously misleading. I think, I mean, I don't think he goes into it in the post, but you would, you would hope that it's mainly like health narratives. Um, where they where they worry it's around things like sort of natural disasters and that where people come up with rubbish um, you know like, you don't want people um hurting themselves well it's also you know it, it could be stuff like um the government might say don't drink the water like there's been some sort of sanitation issue don't drink the water we'll be distributing it and other people might be going oh all you need to do is cut you know stick a couple of Barocca into it and it'll be totally fine. Or do you know uh, what I mean? It's this sort of rubbish that people come up with. Yeah. You haven't got a clue. Um, and then we go, oh, I had on YouTube, it's a big conspiracy. The government are just keeping the water for themselves. You know, there's no issue about cholera or anything like that. You can just go ahead and drink it so long as you stick in a couple of B12 tablets with it. Or, you know, it could be any old come up with. And there's, there's enough idiots out there that believe it. <laughs> 
Yeah, because if you're if you're already in your head, you think, oh, well, the government are not trying to look out for me. They're just trying to keep the elites elite. Yeah. Then um, it's quite easy to to lead those people on and spin them any kind of narrative. And and some I don't know. I've heard uh, someone uh, recently talking about the, the concept of conspiracy. How if you use the word conspiracy, even if it's a lie it it has it adds like a like the hint of it could be true or yeah, they're, they're yeah, hiding yeah, the right, truth yeah, from yeah, you yeah. so if you just say there's a conspiracy and you just say a lie it it adds credibility to the thing um and when it's a blatant lie uh, <laughs> it's just bullshit yeah so the word conspiracy is uh, it can be used uh, very dangerously i think that's quite uh, that's quite interesting it, it it's um Uh, it reminds me as well. Um, so I listened to a podcast called Two Vegan Idiots. Um, it's like two comedians, basically, and they occasionally have guests on there. And there was a, a guest talking, I think it's this current episode, we could probably share the link. And um, he's talking about this guy that used to be a comedian, And then he became a pickup artist. Right? So he's one of these, one of these people like trying to tell young men i imagine or people that are socially awkward how to like chat up women basically <laughs> so they're like taking the mickey out this guy how like um basically his his um his approach is basically like badger people until he gets someone to say yes right so he just goes down oxford street trying to chat up women and then go see that's how you do it after like you know probably gotten thousands of rejections but then the reason it goes back to this is The comedian said, yeah. And then he popped up um, shouting disinformation out of a van. So he's got some sort of megaphone and he's shouting out the van, calling people sheeple because they're trying to wear masks. And it's like the guy, like this particular person, obviously just needs attention. Like whatever is going to, he's going to do whatever it takes. Anyway, it comes to a violent end because one of the protesters like, shoves a bike through the van window so he's mm -hmm. shouting out like yeah so so it's pretty so it's quite it's you would think right or you would hope that awareness of misinformation has really crept up mm. over this pandemic period um but it, it does seem like if you're the sort of person that's already into conspiracies There's nothing you're going to be told that would prevent you from believing the truth, and exactly. I think that's the I think that is the challenge for people trying to communicate. How do we reach that person when they've already sort of gone off the grid? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like you know, like digitally, you can reach them with a message, but whether they'll believe it or not, even when faced with the evidence. I mean, even during the pandemic, when people were dying, who said, "Oh, I'm not going to take the vaccine," or "I'm not going to." follow these guidelines and then they died still because it's so entrenched in people they don't want to be wrong so yeah it's a bit it's a bit challenging yeah. so anyway so that so that uh, that youtube thing's quite interesting i thought that'd be quite um good for uh storytellers and then the other thing was i got excited because <laughs> i saw it in twitter it was trending on twitter that um Netflix amount announced they were going to make a Bioshock movie. <laughs> so Bioshock is an ama amazing, um, absolutely amazing game. And um, I mentioned it, I mentioned it to in the office yesterday to, um, well, Andre and Elliot, and neither of them had played it. And I was like, what? Nah. How did you, how did you get hired without bloody <laughs> having played Bioshock? So, so they obviously need a bit of education now. But it is an amazing game. I mean, like, the first two are fantastic. The third one, Bioshock Infinite, I wouldn't bother with because I didn't, I didn't really go much on it. But anyway, so um, the link we've got in the show notes is to, um, like, I, IGN. And what it says is just been announced. So there's not even a writer or a filmmaker attached to the project. So, and these sorts of things come up all the time, you know, oh, you know, it's going to be done, you know. Um, I just hope they do it justice because it's such mm. an amazing, um, such an amazing game. Um, so, yeah. Is it a movie or a, or a series? 
Um, I don't know. They said in the article, it says it's going to be a movie, mm-hmm. a Bioshock, um, a Bioshock movie. Careful, because brilliant. your expectations are too high. I mean, no, my expectations <laughs> are quite low. Normally, the, <laughs> normally the translate. <laughs> of uh, games into movies is quite dreadful yeah so uh, <laughs> anything that's not dreadful would be, uh, would be it would be it's fine quite, <laughs> there's quite a lot of stinkers out there so by yeah bioshock i don't it's difficult to describe but um i don't i don't even know where i would where i would begin but you you basically it's um i try, i won't be able to pronounce her name is it aaron rand like this um this sort of like philosophy, this woman came up with this philosophy about individualism. Uh-huh. Um, so the book is, is quite famous and even though I can't, um, I can't uh, talk very much about it, but, and so this, the Bioshock game is about a world in which everyone loves Aaron Rand and they've gone through this individualistic sort of path so it's quite yeah it's really interesting and you've got these weird sort of creatures that you have to overcome and what's really um what what i really enjoyed about it was all like the like i would say environmental storytelling which which would lead which was going to lead me on to the next bit but environmental storytelling is where you're in that world and you're not told to go and pick up that book you're not told to press that cassette recorder but you do because you're curious and then it fills in the part of the jigsaw about how you got there um and why you're there and Mm -hmm. like who you know what's going on and it's really it's really interesting and what's good about that is because different people have different ways of playing their games um and that goes back to these four bartle types which Mm -hmm. that's, that's that'll be another podcast and i mean i do quite like that um that exploration i like finding things in games and discover things for myself and um, and that's what's good about bioshock it's not all about conflict so there are challenges in the game but um that's not the key thing it's not like a it is a first person um sort of game mm-hmm. but uh, it's not all about it's quite it can be quite scary i think bioshock 2 was scarier than bioshock 1 but that's not why you would play it if you're into horror games you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily gravitate to Bioshock. I think if you're into storytelling, yeah, got then it. I would I would gravitate to that. So it says here, I'm just reading from the article, the IGN says Bioshock was released in 2007 as a spiritual successor to System Shock. So oh. System Shock is due for a relaunch because they did um, a Kickstarter project and the original uh, System Shock is supposed to be coming out as well. I was um I was a Kickstarter backer. But the project's been going on so long that I've sort of given up on it. So I get the newsletters <laughs> and I think like, mate, come on. <laughs> it's, great, it's great that you're sharing all these like dev insights and all of that. But like, I'm just going to wait for the game now because it must have been like five years. Five years. I, yeah, oh, since my. I put my money into it. So it's when it's ready, I'll be ready. <laughs> but until then, it might be like um, that other one, like the Citizen a Star Citizen or whatever it is. Ah, yeah. That just keeps going on. I don't think it's ever finished. So it's just an evolving world. I mean, that does look amazing. And they've, they've, they've got like incredible storytelling and fan engagement. But um, you need like such a high-end PC, I could never like do it. Oh, wow. So that was, uh... anyway, yeah, so Bioshock. Have you played Bioshock, Bella? No, it's been in my list forever because I've heard you talk about it forever <laughs> and yeah it's it's going to be the next in my list i'm still stuck with cyberpunk uh, because if okay. I'm, I, I'm not i'm not getting enough time uh, for playing these no, days okay. yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. i i want to finish uh, cyberpunk first and then i will go for bioshock or near automata um so near automata, another what, amazing game which one should i take first yeah it's difficult to say because you're um they're both amazing, but in different ways. Um, Bioshock is a shorter game. So you could do Bioshock and then do Nero. Because Nero Automata, you can play it twice, once as the girl and once as the boy. And you should definitely do that because you get different insights into the world and you get different mini games as you go through. Okay. So, uh, but by, but yeah, it's, it's really, it is really hard to uh, compare them because they are different 
different games. But Bioshock is, ama- is amazing. Oh, they're both amazing. Yeah, I, I'd say Bioshock first because you'll get through it sooner, and then <laughs> okay. you can do, and then you can do the near Automata one. Okay. Shall we move to the main segment? Let's do it. Let's do main segment, Belen. So, welcome to the main segment. And uh, <laughs> just carrying on that conversation about Bioshock and environmental uh, storytelling. One of the things I've been um, looking at this week is sort of storytelling around um, how the environment can create problems, like how changes in the in the environment can, ca- can create problems for our players and thinking about how we design exercises around a shift in the environment so there's two aspects to this you have the environment and i've been looking uh, particularly at like pestle so you could use the pomaceae scope thing um but that's like that's really detailed so it depends how deep you want to go but sometimes you just want to say okay i've got this risk to the business and I want to see what the impact of that risk would be. Like, how do I create an exercise? And so it's looking at like generating ideas around a particular environmental change. So if you look at PESTEL, so that stands for political, economic, social, technical, legal, environmental challenges. So when you, if you're a business, you're looking at your risk register or doing like a risk uh, analysis. You say, well, how would I be affected by inflation? which is coming up, how does that affect the business or environment, environmental? So if there's going to be a flood or an earthquake or something like that, how do I get changed? So you use PESTLE to look at um, things that might affect the business. Then I was looking at different personas. So looking at audiences and actors and thinking, right, you've got these four main sort of categories, uh, you could say. So you've got physical, social, environmental and political so physical would look at the population's age their sort of sex their disability whether they've got disability or not especially if you're looking at disabled people in a flood situation or something trying to rescue them then social would be like ethnicity and and class um you know like their sort of social standing and then environmental would be the location where they live or like geographically where they live but it could also be their habitat like what sort of homes are these people uh, living in and then political so do they have any political affiliations do they have any religious affiliations so that would so that would give you so going going through that that could give you um i don't know why my mind always goes to like silver surface just because it's like uh like such a readily accessible um audience uh, sort of type but but yeah so you could say like young women um living in a certain area with a certain religion how would they be affected by this particular change and then and then it's basically using that as um as a way to generate ideas and you could say okay is that going to be challenging enough for the audience you know the training audience what are they you know what how are they going to like rescue these people or how do the how do these changes in the pestle environment affect these different actors and audiences and who do i need to message so you could imagine if it was like a humanitarian type um situation there might be there might be they might be people that you need to attend to uh for whatever reason you know to get them uh you know food or shelter maybe you need to get medical uh care there and it could be could be reasons you know like i know in some african uh countries people really uh still believe in like witchcraft or voodoo mm-hmm. and that type of stuff so you have to be really careful about health type information that they don't they don't think you're the devil coming in and some um some other sort of tribes or whatnot will amp that up and i, I know that they've you know there's cases in the past i don't know i don't know if it's recent it could be just like you know from years ago but um you know if people come in and smashing up all the health stuff when we, when we did that, we did a project, you and I, for the World Health Organization years yeah. ago, and they were saying there about the um, our local populations have concerns, and they, because they are superstitious, they come in and like smash up all the health 
station that you've that you've put there to treat people so anyway so he's looking at it's just a i, I quite like a, a process and it and it helps you generate ideas rather than just uh keep going to your normal go-to's um, only, yeah. so yes yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, interesting approach yeah and so on that as well thinking about the environmental stuff it's like so the exercise might start with a certain environment and then what if the environment changes over that time and how does that affect the exercise and also how do we communicate the environmental changes because you could just get obviously you could just get an email and go oh inflation's up <laughs> or you could have you could find much more subtle ways so if part of the learning experiences that people need to do a situation analysis if they need to be in tune with what's going on in the world then um, you could find ways to communicate that yeah through it so I think that's quite uh, quite interesting different you know a different approach to just giving people the information in their lap let's see if they are doing their own situation analysis listening into different voices and are able to able to you know put together a picture and notice that it's changing. I don't know why this reminded me of that project that we did ages ago, in which we were connecting uh, this character of an Indian girl with the climate, oh, with yeah. the pollution in in Bombay, with uh, through an API that was like taking into That's account. That's quite interesting. Yeah, the real pollution in Bombay and depending on the pollution levels on that specific moment, the mood of the of the child was changing. Uh, so it's I think it's uh, interesting how you can reflect these changes, environmental changes um, that are happening, not only in, in real in, in a real life, but also simulated uh, through um, personas. And you said through different channels, through different um, content, uh, how you reflect those changes in an in an in a not explicit way, but in a realistic way. So I think it's that really was quite interesting. interesting that project. I remember that because that was about encouraging young girls to go to university. But the problem was when they did their study, they had these oil burning lamps, and yeah. the oil burning lamp was like worse than two cigarettes a day or something. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could get open source pollution data and we use that to affect it was a real life twitter feed of obviously a bot but we were looking at the open source uh, data and then that the twitter bot was tweeting as one of these women about yeah the pollution yeah it's quite interesting yeah that was a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> it was it was <laughs> that was good but i mean yeah it's, it's quite interesting to to think about these uh these things though isn't it how to it's basically trying to make the exercises more realistic and more engaging for a certain type of training audience that want that realism. So, Belen, I'm hoping that there is a segue between <laughs> I'll my find it. and yours. Yeah, well, it is. There is a segue uh, and it's... Um... Uh, because today we are um, going to talk about proxemics uh, and it's about also um, it's if you were talking about environmental storytelling this is storytelling that is related to um, to the space and how storytelling uh, and culture and communication in general is linked to uh, where you are and what is around you so specifically uh, proxemics um, is uh, the study of how culture is affected by uh, distances and um, and space like physical space like uh, when it was uh, defined by uh, Edward Tiho in in the, in the 60s uh, it was used to define this different um, he, he determined different uh, distances from your human uh, body to other uh, speakers and how that affected the communication let's okay. I'll, I'll try to explain this better he said there are, uh, if you think of uh, your, your body as the center of four concentric circles, uh, uh, you have like these different distances uh, uh, that you um, use to communicate with other people. The, the most, the, the, 
the bigger distance, let's say, uh, is like the, the the farthest circle from you, is right. the is the public distance, uh, and that's how you uh, communicate uh, with others in um, in a public space, for example, or if you're uh, giving a, a a talk, a tech talk, or you're talking to an audience, or you're in a in a in a meeting and you're talking to um, uh, a number of people that everyone is looking at you. So this is a, uh, the public space and how you communicate in that public space uh, is different from the next circle, which is the uh, social space. And that's how you communicate with those, uh, uh, for example, um, I don't know, in a, in a play date uh, with other parents or where you're picking up the, the, the kids from the school or in the office or um, in a space that you're sharing with other individuals, uh, but it's a public space. Right. <clears throat> and then a little closer to you, it's the, uh, the personal, uh, the private space, um, uh, which is uh, the one that you uh, reserve for those that are really close to you, like your friends or family. Uh, and in that space, people are allowed to touch you. Um, they are at an arm's length from you. Uh, so it's a, a different space and you communicate differently in that space. And finally, the, the most uh, the closer circle to you and the smaller circle is the intimate uh, space, the intimate distance. And that's uh, where you embrace, touch, uh, uh, whisper. That's normally reserved for the very, very close ones, uh, like your your uh, partner, your significant other, uh, your, your children, and so on. That's why it's always funny when someone, like you go, like this guy invaded my personal space, when they like, they step up far too close. It's like, mate, I don't know you. <laughs> like, just back off a little bit. Exactly. Uh, and it's interesting because proxemics are very different uh, depending on the culture. So uh, okay. the UK has a different proxemic uh, perception. Yeah. The, the, let's Personal know. space is at least like kind of five <laughs> meters around us. Exactly. So that's why like something that Spaniards might feel it's normal. Uh, a British person might feel that it's awkward. Like kissing everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's a cultural thing, and it's related to to proxemics. And I and I found really really interesting because the the concessions that you make, uh, it's also an individual thing. Um, the concessions that you make uh, uh, depend on the on different factors, uh, and who you let in these different spaces is different uh, for everyone. Uh, and some sometimes it really has to do with um, uh, the person you're dealing uh, with, exactly. As you said, if, if it's my brother, is I'm not treating you uh, the same as if, if this is the CEO of my company. Um, but it also changes depending on where you are. For example, if you're in a lift, uh, you're forced yeah, okay, right, yeah. to share your personal <laughs> space with someone. So that uh, you make a concession that you wouldn't yeah, make okay. in, a, in, a, in an open space, obviously. And also the situation you're in uh, makes you do some concession, special concessions. For example, when you go to the GP and they have to touch you to see that you have, oh, you have see, a broken yeah. arm, you make a concession that it wouldn't be uh, vi uh, viable somewhere else. Uh, so you really uh, change <laughs> yeah. that kind of permission. I'll see you for a prostate exam as well. Make some <laughs> concessions there as well. Very, very important concessions <laughs> to make there. So uh, this is something that is related to the physical space. But what I found really interesting is how we can apply this to the digital sphere and especially to the channels that we use. Uh, because if you... If you think about it, uh, the channel that you use is like what McLuhan said, that the channel is the message. So it really, every channel, uh, it's designed for a different distance. Uh, for example, if we're talking about the public uh, uh, distance where uh, you're do it, shouting something for everyone to listen to it, you're talking about social media. Uh, you're talking about Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. So the way you express yourself there it's uh, open yeah. for everyone to listen <laughs> and to look at you. Uh, if we go closer and go to the social distance, uh, uh, then you're talking about um, what the communications that you share with your colleagues, for example, uh, through email or interest groups or special uh, uh, Facebook groups uh, or, or, or Reddit groups that are you're, you're linked to a specific community. Uh, and those channels. Uh, have a different communication as well. 
And then if you move closer, uh, you have the personal distance that applied to channels could be like um, uh, SMS or WhatsApp or chat groups that you're uh, talking personally to uh, those that are close to you. So and the language that you use there is completely different from a LinkedIn po uh, post, for example. Uh, because it's a, a personal um, a communication. And finally, if you have to think about the intimate distance, uh, how to apply that, I would say that the most intimate thing uh, right now would be um, a phone call, because it's uh, something like it's listen the voice of someone, it's a very personalized uh, communication. Um, so it really makes an impact and it's something really intimate where you can whisper, you can really replicate that um, in the channel. So it really depends on what you want to achieve. You can uh, use these different channels. Uh, and what it's um, and, and how to apply this further, uh, uh, I've been thinking how to generate spe specific engagement or emotion by, um, by changing that permissions that we were talking before. Uh, for example, something that uh, makes it, uh, can make it interested, interesting is when you make changes between the distances, like transits between the distances in, in a, in a uh, design, when you're designing a scenario, for example. Um, you see uh, in a cyber attack scenario, you see um, a website from the, um, from the hackers group that would be there in a public distance there. Uh, and then the next thing that you see is a pop-up in your uh, computer that says, we are here, we are inside your computer. So you have transitioned from the public distance to the intimate distance, they are inside your computer. And that obviously generates an impact and an emotion there. Uh, or if you do the movement the other way around, uh, if you are talking uh, with your uh, um, teams or with the or, or the or the uh, crisis team in a chat in an internal chat, you are discussing about something, how to proceed, what's the strategy going to be like for the crisis that you're handling, and then something that you have uh, discussed in that chat is uh, screen grabbed and published on a tweet. Yeah, okay. Then uh, there's like a, a treason because something from the intimate sphere has gone to the public space. That's and really that, good, actually. Yeah, it's really good. That generates an impact straight away. And it also it's also interesting. You can also uh, play with those two. Um, playing with the difference between what's the, uh, the private narrative and what's the public narrative. Uh, so while you're designing the thing, like what, what the company in a crisis, what the company is saying internally might be completely different from what the press statement is saying. Uh, so these two different narratives and how the, the story um, uh, is unfolding or what the story is told in these different spaces, because you've marked that there are different spaces, uh, it could be interesting and it could generate conflict uh, and engagement there. It's really good. You know what comes to mind as well is like, um, Jeff Gomez is a trans. He has that idea of superpositioning of of the personas, right? So basically, you have different you you behave differently or present yourself differently on different channels mm -hmm. in different situations. So, like Rob in the lads WhatsApp group is not the Rob that's on social media, exactly. is not the Rob that's on LinkedIn. I mean, I'm thinking of LinkedIn as being different from normal social media, and so so it's quite. Um, I think it is quite interesting and it's something that um, I don't know. I don't know why, but um, I've listened to a couple of I was, I was listening to some music and it, it's interesting now, like the younger singers now talk about, yeah, you popped up in my DMs. You know, it's like <laughs> it's almost like, you know, you you've gone from one level of intimacy, which was like in the public. And then all of a sudden you're direct messaging someone. Exactly. And it's it is going over when it might, it might not be welcome or something. Exactly. It's, it's, it's changing from the public to the private space and how that affects uh, the relationship and the communication. That's really interesting. Uh, something else that can be used for engagement uh, is um, the, um, the violation of the rules of each distance. For example, uh, when an, uh, personas are talking, uh, um, or these uh, um, characters are talking in the intimate space or, or, or a space that is uh, supposed to be uh, intimate. And then the, the, the way it's said is taken out of context. For example, what happened with the Facebook employees with that crisis, yes. that they were just 
ranting and saying whatever and then everything was taken from that intimate space into a uh, into uh, an investigation and it, it appeared uh, in in the news uh, um, as if they were making those statements so that really um yeah. how these changes of distance uh, can be used uh, to generate crisis uh, are, are interesting too. You know what came up this week as well? Um, so it was in the news that there were police, there was a police WhatsApp group and they were all like joking, they were like, like rape jokes and all sorts uh -huh. of nasty sort of uh, things that were coming up in there. <clears throat> so that's, yeah, so that again is like stuff that they've, I mean, I don't know why they would talk about that stuff anyway, because it does have some sort of serious implications, even though it was, oh, you know, I'm just with friends. Yeah, but if you think that's funny, that's pretty, Yeah. you know, that says a lot about you. So it's, but that that's uh, an example where stuff that they thought was private went public. And exactly. then obviously that's, in that case, it's not, it's more, it's a bit more, there's a bigger implication than just a reputational damage because it's quite a serious thing. But yeah, that's quite a good uh, example there. Definitely. And I uh, think this, I think there's something also about, you know, like you said there, like the employee walkouts, mm -hmm. there's, there's something interesting that like that, um, like a loyalty has been broken or something. There's, there's, there's something there which feels um, more shocking that the employees are walking out. They, and, and that's exactly the next point that I was going to make, that kind of loyalty is um, also like, because you're granting permissions, uh, you're talking explicitly or you're saying something because you're in a private space because you're trusting who's there. So if uh, another conflict that you could create is that someone who's been in, a pla in the, the private space Sometimes uh, it, it he betrays you or uh, or he's not who you think you uh, he was or he, he's, yeah. he's a mole or he's some someone who you were trusting and then you realize yeah. somewhere else that he shouldn't be trusted. Um, yeah. So loyalty definitely pays. Uh, it's it's about loyalty uh, and, and and loyalty depends on the on the space that you're playing. So that's a really interesting point. And the last point that I was going to make was how you can combine um, the permissions that you give and you, you grant uh, in the spaces with the, with specific uh, times of the day uh, because it's. Um, it's, it's not the same in the physical space, in proxemics, it's not the same uh, if you have someone uh, like um, half a meter from you at 3 p.m. In, in the subway, that if you have him like at 3 a.m. in, a, in, a, in, a, in an empty yeah, okay, yeah. alley, right? So it, uh, if you receive a phone call or an email, it's not the same if you receive it at 3 p.m. or at 3 a.m. So it really... Uh, uh, it has an impact on the communication on, on the meaning. It's about what we've been discussing lately about analyzing metadata of the websites and everything. So analyzing when an email was sent, uh, it really reveals a lot about, um, it, it, it's kind of more intimate, I would say, uh, if you combine these private spaces with a specific times of day, or if you receive a phone call uh, in the middle of the night, uh, it's not the meaning is not the same if you receive it um, while you're working uh, in the office. That's really uh, good. It really yeah, it's it, interesting. It generates a lot of opportunities, I think, uh, that uh, we normally don't think about when we are designing a scenario. And you can play with a lot uh, of these to generate uh, emotion, which in the end is what you use to generate engagement. So yeah, that's proxemics. That's really good. Very interesting. Belen, it's Friday. I need to know what you're doing at the weekend. Well, what I'm doing at the weekend is I'm I'm actually reading a book that is called Say Nothing, uh, and it's uh, from uh, Patrick Braddon Keith, and it's about um, the story of it's called uh, Say Nothing: A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland, and it's uh, the story of the, of the IRA. 
and oh, bloody, specific yeah. characters uh, that played a role in it in um, in the troubles and it's the 70s in the stories it starts in the 70s and how everything uh, has evolved uh, through these characters specifically and I'm enjoying it a lot because it's, it's, it's written as a novel but it's completely uh, factual is everything is uh, real real stories um and the good thing is that i know nothing about this so i oh, don't know okay. what's going to happen next so i'm reading it as a novel <laughs> because i yeah, don't know okay. i don't know the ending i'm, I'm so <laughs> detached from this story that i am and, and it's really well written and, and I'm, I'm really liking it i would say uh what about Very you good. what are you doing um more 3D printing? Of course. Well, actually, <laughs> I've got some uh, model making to do. So I'm making a mini nuke. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's into Fallout will know that the, the mini nuke is quite legendary. So I've good weapons to have. <laughs> and um, basically, it's got like a screw top where I can put Easter eggs. So ah. we've Easter, Easter coming up. So I've already it's already been printed off and everything. But I need to I need to paint it. Um, I don't know if I showed you this as well. This I made this in the week. No. Uh, obviously, if you're listening audio, you won't be able to hear it. But um, it's one of the drones from Silent Running. So Silent Running is a is a really interesting um, science fiction film. And there's three of these little drones in uh, in in Silent Running. And it's it's a really good three um, D uh, model on it. So what I did was I downloaded it. So it, it, someone else has already done all the hard work, really. But then I sort of improvised a little bit. I sort of cut it. I cut out some different shapes and print it in different uh, filaments. And then other people, what's quite good is other people can remix it. So someone started it. And then I picked up a couple of remixes, like with these um, tubes. And then I added my own tubes to the little, this is supposed to be like a little claw that comes out so yeah it's pretty that's what i said it's a gift that just keeps on giving and uh, something you might not have noticed at first glance is that at the back there's chocolate inside so you <laughs> so <laughs> I, mean, I combined uh, i combined a box so this is print. if i'm not wrong this is the third thing that you've built that delivers chocolate yeah in exactly some shape. <laughs> exactly everything that's what i'm trying to do so the plan was to take it into the office um but I've not, I've not yet, because I've still, I've got one little bit to finish off on it, <clears throat> and um, I didn't want to change filament just for that little bit. So I'm waiting for something else, and then I'll, and then I'll print it at that time, fill it in, then I can take it in. Yeah, that's that's another. Yeah, trying to find concealed compartments where there's, where there's, uh, where there's chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> yeah. So the, the mini nuke is pretty good actually. I, I don't think you would know to unscrew the top. You can again. That was someone someone else had done so i've printed that off but um this weekend i'm gonna i'm gonna paint it i've ordered a new airbrush because um i need one that uh, works a little bit better with acrylics that gives me because mm. you get like heavy paints they could they block up the nozzle of, of your airbrush wow. and it's bloody annoying so uh, so i've ordered a new one but that, that won't that'll be a story for next weekend <laughs> Great. Well, thank you everyone for being there, for listening. Uh, we really hope that you found uh, this interesting. As usual, you can write an email to podcast at contactor.com. Uh, we're going to share all the links in the notes and we really hope to see you or that you are there next week. Listening to us next week. Have a great weekend, everyone.